0: we feel there's a great opportunity to make more use of uh, the, the business intelligence and even including some machine learning predictions.
1: Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Hello everyone, I'm your host Jeff Tun and you are listening to Status Go. This is the second episode in a series we derived from our webinar Four CIOs Get Real About the Future of COVID-19 and IT. It was so well received, we've broken it into three digestible podcast episodes. The four IT leaders participating in the discussion are Fleming Meng, CIO at Human Good, Mandy Huth, Vice President of Cybersecurity at Kohler, Mike Heinlein, CIO at Indiana Public Retirement System, and Mark Grimsey, Vice President of IT at Robert Half. The three episodes in this series follow along chronologically. We start at the beginning in the first episode, discussing how things played out for the panelists, both professionally and personally, when COVID initially hit hard in the US. So if you haven't already, be sure to check it out. In this episode, we are covering plans for the immediate future. What does returning to the office look like and how are the panelists making the work from home model weave more seamlessly into their organizations? We also get into the privacy and security implications of contact tracing. Listen now for this great discussion. Well, I, I do want to turn our attention now to, we're, we're sitting here at the end of May. A lot of uh, jurisdictions are loosening up on the stay-at-home restrictions. Uh, offices are going to start to open back up again. So, I want to talk about what does this look like as we turn our attention to the future? What plans are you putting in place? So. Fleming, what is human good doing? What's your approach to bringing your office workers back? Yeah, Jeff, yes, we we definitely are preparing uh, for the returning to office,
0: but everybody, including the CEO, we all agreed that uh, we will not return to the pre-COVID-19 situation. And luckily our executive team are very open and because this time we proved work from home can work even for the finance team. So that was a very, very encouraging. So we had a survey a couple of weeks ago to all our corporate uh, staff, about 300 people. And uh, surprisingly, almost 100%, there's only a couple of people prefer to work in the office, they have some challenging situation at home, and uh, either broadband or they don't have dedicated home office, otherwise, almost 100% they prefer to work from home. And the good news is we decided to accommodate that, which means we're going to support that. But most of people also, uh, they they want to spend one or two days a week in the office and sometimes where you want to meet so what we're going to do is not only IT the whole company thinking about the corporate office we need to reorganize the corporate office number one we don't need such a big several big corporate office we need smaller offices number two is uh, we need more flexible seats or we some people call hotel desks but we need much smaller footprint for the office space. We also revised uh, the home office IT standard. And as you can imagine, people want two monitors, people want a fancy uh, speakerphone, people need a fancy keyboard, mouse. We said, look, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to redeploy the office uh, equipment uh, to people's home. And then for the new uh, Uh, staff, if they join, we're going to, instead of give them uh, uh, the standard equipment, we're going to give them a stipend so that they can pick and choose what they want to be able to work effectively from uh, home. So that's a huge change from office uh, perspective. Then the other thing, which is really the lessons learned, is uh, during this COVID-19, the initial stage and the new normal, the two months we talked about, we learned that one of the biggest gaps we have, not just the IT, the whole company, is about communication, right? The communication. So, uh, because we have 52% of our our staffs, they don't have a computer, right? They don't have an email, they don't have a computer. Very often, they don't know what's going on. So back to the point, we decided that uh, we're going to roll out the digital collaboration technology, let's say Office 365, not only to the information workers. We believe we need to extend that to all the frontline workers as well, right? And uh, everybody has a mobile phone and they can use uh, the social media, internal social media or the other tools so that they can stay connected and engaged. That's one thing what we plan to do. The other thing that with the COVID-19 as a catalyst, we feel there's a great opportunity to, make more use of uh, the the business intelligence, and even including some machine learning predictions of the business performance. So we can make the organization more uh, data-driven. So that's uh, the other thing what we are planning. But last but not least is from IT application perspective, we we are planning for more kind of workflow digitization and automation and, uh, you know, I don't want to expand this topic otherwise this can we can talk for 10 20 minutes but that's basically we realize there's still lots of manual process in the company and we have to digitize that number one number two is generally our industry is still a pretty labor intensive industry just like the hospitality or or healthcare industry so we see a huge opportunity to use some automation tools to automate some of the workflows so these are the make things we're planning when we return to office i would say
1: all right thank you fleming other panelists uh, what are you thinking about what are you planning as we start to return to the office
2: i think meng hit so many great points i'll just add one really quick thing is you know kohler is really focused on one we're taking a conservative approach we're asking associates to stay at home as long as they feel comfortable um, and we really have to think about in terms of the future, we can't ask people to come back if they're not comfortable coming back right so it's a it's a real mindset change for most companies because you know we don't know people's personal situations. we can't ask them to come into an environment if they have a sick parent like Mike, you know at home with them, things like that. so um, I think that's really important, and from a technology perspective, in addition to the wonderful things that Meg mentioned we're we're really focused on how do we do that semi-virtual meetings? Cause you're gonna have three or four people in the office in a, in a conference room and then you're gonna have three or four people on, on a virtual platform. And so going to the whiteboard is no longer really sustainable, right? Because you're leaving part of your virtual people out because we're all virtual now, we can all focus on one way of communicating. So really starting to think about how we can make those experiences better for our associates.
3: Mandy, jumping in on that, your concept about how to uh, enable this hybrid environment. Our team was doing the same thing. And one of the folks brought to me the other day, it's, there's a neat little tool. It's a, uh, it's called Meeting Owl. It's a little device. You set it in the middle of the room, but it virtually, visually and audibly enables that room. And it's a neat little technology. It's not super expensive um but it's just ideas that we're floating and figuring out when we go back. I know as others have mentioned we've had the team looking at all the different parameters that need to be taken into account. I mean and and it seems like it changes almost daily with things coming out of Washington and things coming out of our governor's office and our department of health and all that. But PPE, you know what are the needs? PPE, social distancing, work scheduling, physical layout. Sanitizing stations, you know, you know, if you turn more than 10 feet, you need to be able to sanitize your hands, those kind of things. We've also got it in the fact that we own our building, but we've got tenants. So, we have to worry about tenants in the building and how do you do the common spaces and everything we really haven't built an aggressive plan. Like Fleming mentioned is that uh, um, our people's safety comes 1st. Safety of our people and our members, so we don't really have an aggressive plan to go back into the building. We'll open our lobby and do appointment only for uh, retirement counseling. Um, But other than that, we've been fortunate that we've been able to deliver our services and prove that we can do that remote. It's nice that our leadership is basically saying, nope, no reason to rush back in there to risk anything for anybody. Um, We'll take our time. So for the bulk of our people, we're, we're not even really talking about anything until the 4th of July or after that um so it's just status quo stay safe and uh and we'll figure out how to go from there
4: yeah i i think uh, similar here we we are considering um applications you know uh people from work.com and salesforce never have applications because you do need to start to track and and watch what happens um, I think it's going to be not only for jurisdictional purposes, for example, in Europe, you have to do it. There are some landlords that are requesting you to do it, but you may want to do it from just a health and safety reason. Um, and, and you're right, uh, everybody. It seems like our CEO has said that, you know, you have an unconditional right to work at home until you feel comfortable to come back in. Um, and we've kind of taken the, uh, the approach that being first, Back in the office is not a race we want to win. Um, So, and we have people, we have things in Germany that those offices never really closed. So the Europe is a little bit more ahead of us. So we're kind of watching them and we've, we are building playbooks for each office, which includes which seats you can occupy, which seats you cannot, you can't, what are the what are the different characteristics that you need to do for that office? And uh, we're growing that playbook as we speak. And so an office won't open until it's got all of those check marks done for the, done for the at that specific place. So I think we are being cautious and I do believe that there is a new view of what work is. Uh, this hybrid thing that both Mike and uh, Mandy talked about I think is important. And then you also have to think about what is work really going to be? Do we need to do work the same way we did before? Or do we need to think about how to do work differently? And I think that's kind of um, one of the things that we're looking at, whether that be um, how you manage work, how you think about allocating people and resources. So I think there's a a lot of things yet to be thought about on that.
1: Mark, those are those are great points. And and in fact, it kind of leads us into our next. uh, High level question for the panelists is, how has the nature of work changed? What do you see the new normal look like for the nature of work? So, Mike, what are your thoughts on that?
3: Well, I guess I'd look at it 1st, from sort of the organizational perspective. Um, Other than if a member, as I mentioned, would like to do a face to face counseling session. With us, we've been able to deliver our services without significant impact to the members or our employers across the state. And we know this is one of those places where I listen to what my panelist peers are dealing with, with multi-country, you know, multi-level of organizations. I have 250 people, and the worst I have to go to is the borders of the state of Indiana. Um, (laughs) So my life is just so much simpler than yours, and I understand that. Um, so it just makes me happy every time, you know, my vertical is, you know, I I don't have to worry about that. Um, but we're very proud of the fact that we've been able to deliver those services and and while our processes and our tech may not be completely integrated or optimized. It's not really openly visible to the stakeholders. We're keeping that below the, the surface. So it's now an opportunity for us to clean that up. Um. That We've proven with the IT team can deliver their services from anywhere. Uh, they've done an exceptional job absorbing the changes and moving on. And some, of course, I think are indicating that they're more effective in that new model. We'll have to factor that into what the new future models look like, because I think if anybody, for any of our organizations, from what I'm hearing, would walk back in and say, nope, we're going back to status quo, we'd have a revolt on our hands. Because as Fleming mentioned, these people are, have said, nope, we like working from home. This We think this works better. So, and as I mentioned earlier, I miss the face to face, personal interactions, but I've adapted. I do think from time to time, the management perspective on the work from home has helped my ability to concentrate. So, I, you know, it's almost like you don't get all the drop by discussions that occur. So you don't get those time things that take time away from you. So I've actually been able to feel like I'm able to get deeper into different topics at different times. So personally, I think it's helping and one of the things that mandy mentioned and and uh mark also mentioned is talking about some automation i think fleming may have talked about it too we had it in our strategic plan to start doing some investigation in our next fiscal year which starts in july i'm like mandy i want to make hay while the sunshine so to speak is let's push this forward while we've got this window of uh folks adapting change and i really want to try to accelerate that because i think you know, like many organizations, there's a whole lot of places you can put some lower level tech like RPA and and have some short term impact um, to people's lives and get some of the ma- mundane business details that low level work that can get out of their out of their way so they can focus on larger scale tasks.
2: So, I want to just jump in really quickly on something Mike said, because I, I don't disagree with what you said, but I'm going to offer an alternative. So he talked about, you know, I'm much more productive because, you know, the, the stop buys are m- much less. So absolutely agree with you, productivity through the roof. What I do miss, though, are those quick hallway conversations mm-hmm. where people go, oh, Mandy, I was in a meeting and I needed to tell you this, right? So just to keep you in the know, but virtually they don't go, they're not mindful enough to go, oh, I should probably ping her or chat with her and let her know what just happened. So. In some ways, we're getting a little siloed within our specific groups. And so something that I would certainly urge, I absolutely agree with your comment, Mike, but we need to, as leaders, remind people to be very mindful that not everybody's in the room, right? And you're not gonna see them in the hallway to, to give them a 20 second or 60 second overview or to, to touch base and remind you that they, you need to talk later. So just something to consider.
4: Yeah, I think Mandy, you're right. Um, one of those items that we had found um, that we have to remind people about is, for example, with Teams, is that you have this persistent chat, so you can have those little blurbs of things. But uh, leading by example and starting to use those not only with people who are maybe um, definitely more technology enabled, who might be working for you, versus those who are might be above you, and so you may be more reticent to do that with your president or CEO, but you need to do that because then they drive that back down. So that that's kind of interesting. And we're using chatbots and those types of things to do automation and self-service. So um, that's, that's really good. One thing we are noticing is that we're probably going to have to be a whole lot better at helping people at home. We talked about this earlier. I mean, I had 400 offices that I had to worry about their network connections three, six months ago now i have eighteen thousand. so how do i make sure that those network connections work well and so knowing that i have all those endpoints to manage automation is going to be the key
1: that's a great point mark i want to turn our attention to a topic we haven't touched on yet uh, and that is this the the concept of contact tracing some of the tech giants google facebook apple they're developing technology that provides tracking of individuals that have had COVID and who they come in contact with. I'd love your thoughts on the pros and cons uh, of this, and and Mandy, I think it'd be interesting to start with you on on this topic.
2: Sure. Um. So it's on everybody's mind. Um. What are the privacy and security implications of contact tracing? And, you know, I had to do quite a bit of research. And it's really important for you all to recognize that what Google and, you know, what Apple uh, are doing from a technology perspective is they're creating APIs, right? And the APIs are the connectors. The second component of contact tracing are the actual contact tracing applications. So, you know, those APIs are really about allowing your, the mechanisms in your phone to work with the application. And, you know, I think they're doing a really good job of being transparent the second component, which are the apps, are a mixed bag, and there's quite a spectrum. Um, MIT recently did a study and is creating a is creating a database. You know, they're tracking us now. They're tracking all the applications. There are currently 25 applications per their study that are are available around the globe, whether they're country based or whether they're uh, like a CDC organization, World Health Organization type things, and so. You know, Kohler, and I'm, I'm going to speak specifically to me and my approach because I, I, I toggle both privacy and security, is, you know, we have, depending on how large a workforce is, we have a manual process. And someone said, well, we're going to, we should make it mandatory for this group of people. And, you know, the, the potentially liability of requiring a certain application for all of your um, associates, when you don't, when you have not, with 25 applications, do we really have the the resource capacity to manage and review every application for security, coding, privacy, and the differences between each of them? And so we've chosen to say, if an associate chooses to use it, you do so by accepting those terms and conditions by your uh, of your own accord, right? Mm-hmm. And that we really... You know, while we have something in place per our incident management response that we can track our associates accordingly, you know, again, our population is probably small enough. With that said, India has mandated that everybody download their application. You could potentially be fired or fined. For not using it, so we do have to, from a global perspective, look at regulatory compliance. You know, South Korea has something in place. Um, Australia is pushing something, but you know they admit that they are kind of disregarding some privacy requirements or you know previous privacy. So it's a mixed bag. And my recommendation to people is, you have to look at what your business needs. We have some. We have a big uh, installation in Italy. So how are we going to handle them? Are we gonna handle them differently? It really, I, I think it's really important for your organization to say, how important is that for your population? Maybe you pocket some out, you certainly have to look at regulatory components, but if so, you need to have a thought process to say, how are we gonna pen test that application? Or how have they pin tested that application? we make sure that code is secure, that privacy and anonymization is absolutely intact and that we're meeting privacy regulation. So, a long-winded answer, I could go on that for days. Great.
1: That was great, Mandy. And Mark, when we had our pre-call, you you had some thoughts on this too, as I recall.
4: Yeah, so, I mean, as I mentioned before, there are applications out there and you have to think about them from a jurisdictional standpoint. And I guess we think about it, if you are, Putting health and safety in front of everything for your employees, then what types of things do you want to do to say that you are interested in their health and safety? So, you know, you may not want to, for example, temperature check everyone, um, nor do you want to temperature check and then record that. Um, But what you may want to do is have employees know that there is a risk. And so um, I know it sounds draconian to have them sign something, but send them out and know that they read it, that there is a risk coming back to the office. And it's not necessarily just for your protection as a company, but you're allowing the employee then to be fully informed about making that decision to come back in. And I think that's really important. And, And so you have to think about, what is your overriding job in doing this? Is it that you want to understand and so that you can make good technology decisions? Are you security focused? Or are you focused on the health and safety of your employees and your and your customers? Because that that's ultimately who they're gonna eventually, you know, touch.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much for listening. You can get more information in the show notes at intervision.com. If you've jumped in here on Episode 2, be sure to check out the first episode in the series and stay tuned for Episode 3. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook,
4: LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.